and welcome to YHT POV, the podcast of Yeshiva HaTorah. I'm your host, Rabbi Eitan Ehrenfeld, and this is the place where we discuss Jewish education, Yeshiva HaTorah, and sometimes we just like to have fun. Hello and welcome to YHT POV. I'm Rabbi Eitan Ehrenfeld, and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Rabbi Dr. Chesky Gwartz. Uh, Rabbi Dr. Gwartz is the clinical director of child and Adole- of the child and adolescent clinic at New York City Health and Hospitals in Queens. He also is a psychologist in private practice. He also serves as a supervisor, a clinical supervisor at Furkoff Graduate School for psychology, it's at Yeshiva University. And he also teaches a class in psychology and Torah at Central High School for Girls. And so I feel very, very privileged with all of that going on that you were able to make time to join us here on Yeshiva Har Torah's podcast. It's really a pleasure to be here at Ehrenfeld and thank you for having me. By the way, before we dive into today's topic, um, I, I do believe there's some family connections to Yeshiva Har Torah as well. Is that correct? There is, definitely. Uh, we feel very close to Yeshiva Har Torah. Uh, my wife, Elisa, was a student there and then worked there for a bit. And uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. So uh, we definitely have a lot of connections to Har Torah. And uh, I know a lot of the administration, of course, starting with Rabbi Michelle and everyone else. And uh, I always feel very impressed with Har Torah and I'm um, happy to be able to, to, to join you this morning. Right, wonderful. So I think something that's been on, on the minds of a lot of parents uh, at this time of year, besides cooking and getting ready for, you know, all the chagim and inviting company and which meals were in and which meals were out, is the fact that there's a lot of time spent in shul around this time of year. And I wanted to take a few minutes this morning and talk with you about um, tefillah and specifically tefillah in children, educating for tefillah. Obviously, in schools, we have more formal education around tefillah, but at this time, when it seems like we're almost out of school more than we're in school, um, you know, what are the roles that uh, that parents might play in that process, specifically around Yamim Noraim and the Chagim? So maybe just to begin with, what are some uh, challenges that you, uh, you've observed in educating children specifically in the area of tefillah? Yeah, so this is a, a very important question, obviously, and I think something that a lot of schools struggle with and grapple with, and a lot of parents as well. Um, and anything that I'm, that I'm about to share is really just based on my own experience with my own children and with you know working with kids um, and you know helping schools as well, trying to figure out how to help uh, educate and be mechanic and tefillah. Um, but that being said, I think there's always a certain level of humility whenever, you know, we're sharing ideas about how to reach children the right way, how to be mechanic children, um, because it is so complex and it is challenging. Um, and we're all doing our best here. So um, nothing I say is, you know, absolute halacha moshe v'sinai, um, but just to kind of share share my two cents. Um, I think as we all know, you know, teaching tefillah um, for one reason is very difficult because of just the mere fact that it's in Hebrew. Um, and there are a lot of words and there are a lot of things that have to be said in the formal tefillah. And that itself, just on a very basic level, creates challenges um, for, for kids that maybe aren't as good as reading, uh, at reading, um, not as fluent, not as great at you know understanding, 
And I think that itself sometimes creates a challenge when we're trying to create meaning for kids um, in a language that many of them, most of them, are not so familiar with. So I think on one level, there's just a mere understanding of what they're saying. Um, and the fact that it is, you know, the formal tefillah is quite long. And a lot of kids, even if they do understand the words that they're saying, are not necessarily able to focus for that long or sit for that long. You know, we all know that, uh, you know, kids have a hard time sitting still. They have a hard time staying focused, um, especially kids that have, you know, different diagnoses like ADHD and, you know, others that make it difficult. So I think we really have to recognize that we may be asking a lot from kids um, if we're asking them to dive in everything the way that, let's say, we dive in or the way that we're, you know, expecting them to dive in. And I think it's really important um, to recognize that that itself could be a challenge, not only the translation of the words, but also being able to maintain that engagement and that attention. Um, and especially when it's not necessarily so exciting for them, it's not so stimulating. And I think that if we could find a way to make it more exciting and meaningful and engaging, I think that's the key that will then help the other areas. I, I don't think it's necessarily about, okay, let's make sure they understand every word and then they're gonna all of a sudden get into davening. I, I think it starts with the last piece, which is really how to make it meaningful to them and how to make it something that, that they're engaged in. So beginning with the goal in mind, meaning instead of, the goal isn't say these words. In fact, I remember a rabbi once saying that, telling me davening has nothing to do with saying words. That's right, davening is an internal experience. Saying the words in the siddur is maybe how we get there, but beginning with the end goal in mind, right? Connecting to Hashem, right? Finding meaning in this experience, and then working backwards saying, okay, now how do I fit in the tefillah process, right? Do they say all of it? Do they say some of it? Do we translate all of it? Do we translate some of it or explain some of it? You know, I, I always thought, and I've gone back and forth on this in my years in, in education on, is the main challenge in tefillah accessing the text, right? It's it's in Hebrew, we don't always understand that it. it's biblical Hebrew, much of it. So it's, it's challenging to understand. The other side is, I just think the whole experience of tefillah is challenging for a person living in the modern world because we really, it's very possible to not feel a sense of depending on Hashem. You know, I go to the supermarket, food's available, Baruch Hashem. Uh, I, I, my paycheck is deposited right into my bank account. I don't necessarily feel that day-to-day -day dependence that pre-modern life felt. You know, you really were terrified if there was going to be a drought one year. You, you weren't sure how you could survive that. You really felt a sense that the day-to-day -day living was more dependent on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And today, a lot of that is removed. Baruch Hashem, we shouldn't uh, go back to those times. We should appreciate that. But I always felt like that's part of the challenge. And all the more so in a child, right? A child doesn't feel a sense of dependency. Thank God their parents, Mirz Hashem, God willing, they're able to provide for them clothes and food and shelter and all those things. And you don't feel that sense of bakasha, requests, I need to ask Hashem for these things because if I'm sick, I'll go to the doctor and I'll get medicine, you know, and 
davening doesn't always fit into that equation. And so I think it, I've gone back and forth, right? Do we need to understand the words better or do we need to address this bigger underlying issue? Yeah, 100%. I think I've thought about this, you know, for a while now, and I really do believe that teaching tefillah and being mechanic tefillah is really being mechanic amuna. And that's, I think, really what you're getting at. It's not about teaching tefillah. It really is about teaching belief in God. And then belief in God, of course, is the foundation of what a meaningful tefillah is, what a meaningful davening is. And I've heard, you know, a lot of rabbis say this as well, Ramosha Weinberger from Eish Kodesh, I've heard say this, and others, that it really starts not in shul, it starts at home. Like so many things when it comes to being and raising children. That if there's a culture at home of awareness of Hashem and talking about Hashem and asking things for Hashem, not in a formal tefillah way of, you know, saying the Shemona Esrei, but just in a way of, you know, we're about to, we're about to go to the baseball game. Let's just dive into Hashem that it doesn't rain, right? Just something as simple as that. It's using tefillah as part of our everyday conversations. Um, one of my favorite examples of this from, from my own children is uh, my son is now in first grade. And last year he was in kindergarten and he had a Rebbe. Um, and the Rebbe would always say that if you can't find something, right, you, you know, you lose and, you know, we know kids lose things a lot, right? So, you know, he can't find his baseball cap. So he would say, Hako Yacho, right? The one who, who controls everything, please help me find my baseball cap. And so my son would go around the house and say, Hako Yacho, please help me find my baseball cap or whatever he's looking for, right? So that's a way, it's like, it's a, it's a small way of instilling how anything we need requires tefillah. And so I think if it starts with that, and this is at home and in school, of just talking about Hashem more and, and having these small moments, moments of tefillah, I think even on a halakhic level, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Rosh Hashanah and others say that, that you're makayim a mitzvah of tefillah anytime you just call, you know, ask Hashem for anything. It doesn't have to be during the, the formal shachar mincha amarev. It's at, at home and, you know, you're asking Hashem to help you find your car keys. Like, that's a mitzvah of tefillah right there. Um, so I think if we start with that um, and talking about Hashem more and asking Hashem for things, I think that is really the foundation of what then is going to make the actual tefillah, like the formal tefillah, more meaningful. And and honestly, I think that, you know, as a community, sometimes we struggle. There's sometimes an awkwardness talking about Hashem. You know, I think, you know, many adults uh, may have a hard time just, you know, talking about Hashem at home and talking about God. And I think if we kind of allow ourselves to talk about Hashem more and expose ourselves to that and expose our kids to that, I think that's that's a foundation to make to make it feel more meaningful for kids. Absolutely. And not only in times of Bakasha, also the thank you Hashem culture, right? Oh yes, hundred things. We don't need to only say in times when I need something, right? Thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for you know helping me find those keys that I was missing and I was already 10 minutes late to work. Or thank you, Hashem, for you know, the doctor realizing that you just needed some antibiotics and now you can feel better and incorporating Hashem awareness, God awareness, so to speak, into our homes is wonderful. I think it's an amazing idea. And I agree. It really lies at the bedrock, at the foundation of tefillah. I guess transitioning or continuing on that path, are there any specific um, tips or strategies that you think besides this that parents can use in uh, helping educate their children and helping them grow in the tefillah process. Yeah, so I think maybe segueing a bit more to the formal 
um, you know, tefillah that we're trying also to have our children engage in, in terms of coming to shul at the appropriate age and, you know, be able to, to sit in shul and feel connected to the, the shul experience. I think that, you know, being able to really, and this goes, of course, for any chinuch question, but to understand that individual child and what they could handle, what's appropriate for them and what's not appropriate for them. I think that so often tefillah becomes one of those really points, you know, sticky points of conflict um, between parents and kids in terms of, you know, you're coming too late to shul, you're not staying, you know, enough in shul, you're not, you're not saying the words in shul, um, you're talking during davening, it becomes a real um, contentious area. And I think especially when the, a parent is passionate about tefillah, um, so they often get more passionate and uh, try to push and urge their kids more to get involved in the, in the davening. So I think that really knowing what that child needs and what they could handle is really important. And I think in general, you know, as we know, you know, less is often more. So I think having less time, you know, in shul, sitting in shul, but making it meaningful and, you know, really having 10 minutes or 20 minutes, however long, you know, the, per the child can handle, but really, you know, having things in mind that they want to thank Hashem for and that they want to ask Hashem for. That's usually how I how I frame it when I'm, you know, asking asking my children if they could join me in davening. You know, let's let's daven together. Let's let's thank Hashem for one thing, like you were saying before, Avetan, and asking Hashem for one thing. That's kind of the the framework of what I think we want our children to get from tefillah, right? The recognition and the and the asking, the requesting. So I think being able to have small chunks and making it meaningful for that, you know, individual child um, definitely goes a long way. And I think for the younger ages and sometimes for the older also, you know, having some sort of contingency plan, you know, where if they're able to, you know, to you know, sit in shul and they're able to, you know, say the words and really ask Hashem and thank Hashem, then maybe there could be some, you know, reward for that. You know, I, I'm never big on making you know, things that we consider meaningful and valuable. You know, I, I'm cautious to make that feel like it's just about getting a prize or a point system or things it's like right that. Into our school philosophy. So say again, it fits right into our school philosophy. So right. you're, 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 we're on board with this one. Right. Uh, but, but I think that's so at the same time, though, I think after the fact, if you know, you want to show how proud you are of a child of doing something that maybe is not so easy for them but they're able to do it, I think, you know, giving them, you know, either verbal, I mean, definitely verbal reinforcement saying, you know, how that was such a great job davening and I'm so proud of you. And maybe even connecting it to some, you know, treat in shul, which a lot of times, you know, I I, I grew up in, in, in Muncie and uh, I grew up with Ramosha Deva Tendler as that style. And um, he was a, you know, larger than life type of, you know, Tama Chacham and he was, you know, somewhat, uh, somewhat daunting for you know a young child to you know to be around because he was he was really a, a regal uh, individual and and he would you know give candy to the kids all the time but it would it would kind of be in the context of them saying a little bit of davening you know he, people the, the kids would come up to him and say a Shabbos and then I remember as a, as a young child he would have me stand on his you know stool that was right next to his right next to his little bima there and I would you know look along in the sitter and say some words. And he would give me a candy. So it wasn't just, you know, candy for the sake of, okay, you know, if you do this, we'll give you a prize. But it's kind of this association of, of you do something that maybe is not so easy for you and out of your comfort zone, 
but you do it well and we'll reward you with you know something to make you feel good about it so i think there is room for that for sure in terms of you know especially for the younger kids in terms of you know the positive reinforcement yeah i definitely think it's so important to realize that every child is going to be different in this area and you know parents in general <laughs> parents should avoid doing this but specifically uh you know or for purposes of this conversation around tefillah just because something was right for one of your children that doesn't mean that that's going to work with another one of your children and just because you look down the row in shul and you see someone else's child who's the same age as your child and they're doing x y and z and they're saying this much of tefillah or sitting for this long you say man i must be doing something wrong because my child can't sit for that amount of time it's not the case it's certainly not necessarily the case because every child is going to be different every child's going to have their struggles and their strengths and they're going to bring that to everything in life including tefillah and i think keeping that in mind is incredibly incredibly important when you think about this and when you think about you know what how you want to inspire your children in the area of tefillah yeah and i think that's such a great point and just to kind of piggyback off of that i think often parents and this comes up you know just working you know with a lot of children in therapy and just seeing the the gamut of challenges that sometimes parents and uh, children have i think it's really important for parents to kind of check themselves and their own reaction and that you know sometimes parents get so either embarrassed or frustrated that their child is not davening the way that they hope that they should and they're comparing to other kids like you're mentioning and, and i think that does that doesn't create a healthy dynamic either um i think especially when the kids are older you know not because adolescents want to be mean but sometimes you know when they sense that the parent is kind of getting frustrated that almost reinforces um their behavior but i but even at a younger age um i think it's important that 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 doesn't that that doesn't become the dynamic that the that the child is noticing that the parent is embarrassed about you know how the child's acting because it's really not about you it's it's really not about the parents right if the goal is to be mechanic the child then we really have to meet them where they're at even if where they're at is not exactly where you hope that they that they would be so as a parent that that feeling of i'm so embarrassed that my kid isn't doing this that's about me that's not that's not mm-hmm. their problem that's not my child's problem that's my problem and i need to figure out how to deal with that but i can't put that on my child right i need to i need to help them achieve you know become their best self i need to figure out you know how i'm going to deal with that emotion my own way right exactly um amazing so we're we're in the middle of uh, of the aseri made chuva and we just came out of rosh Hashanah, and we're we're a few days away from yom kippur and you know, that's there's no day that we're in shul for as long as, uh, as you know, as any, as uh, there's no day that we're in shul as long as any other day uh, in tefillah. And it's a hard day. It's a hard day for adults, uh, certainly a hard day for children. So what 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 are we? And again, obviously, given everything we just said, this the, the answer is going to vary for different ages and different children. So what are some you know, expectations that parents should have. Should they bring children to shul? Should they expect them to stay in shul? Um, should they bring activities for them? Uh, should they place them in the, you know, in the in the groups or whatever arrangements the shul has? What are some expectations? And again, recognizing that, you know, we have children in this school ranging from nursery through eighth grade and parents may have younger children at home, may have older children at home. So it's hard to give a one size fits all answer, but 
staring down at Yom Kippur, what are some things parents should be thinking about leading up to that? Yeah, so this is a little bit of even a halakhic question, which I'm sure you know, that, you know, even from the halakhic sources, there are different opinions and different uh, attitudes towards bringing kids to shul. Um, and I guess I'll start with like the younger kids, because on the one hand, we have actually this week's Parsha, Parsha's Vayelech, talks about the mitzvah of Hakel, and there was a mitzvah to bring the taf, to bring even the young kids, the question of exactly how old um, that that mitzvah is talking about. But, but in general, there's definitely an idea of bringing the kids and having them experience this amazing uh, experience of Hakel. And I think that applies to Shul to some degree too, right? We want kids to be exposed to what a meaningful davening is, and especially in the Yom Ram with the with the powerful davening and the calling out, answering Amen and the singing, like that's a very, potentially a very powerful chinuch experience for kids. So on the one hand, parents I'm sure want their kids to experience that. And then on the other hand, we have, I think, you know, two challenges. I think one challenge is more logistical, and that's that in terms of kavodatzvila, you know, we also want children to recognize that there's a certain respect for the tefillah itself, for the shul itself. And if either A, the children are making a good amount of noise that's getting in the way of other people's kavana and the kavodatzvila vibe, that's one factor to consider, you know, that we want to bring our kids to shul, but we also want to be mindful of everyone else that's in shul and everyone else is davening. And I think maybe even more for our purposes, you know, you mentioned about, you know, bringing toys to shul and, you know, different things like that. I think that there's room for that in the sense that we want kids to, I guess, be busy so they're not distracting other kids. But at the same time, I think we also want to be very mindful of not creating an association of shul with, you know, snacks and toys and sometimes even, you know, video games. Like, you know, I've I've been seeing more and more even, you know, during the week, you know, so you have dads, you know, bring their, you know, young kids to shul. And, you know, again, there's so many factors in terms of watching the kids, etc. Um, And, you know, they're on their phone with the headphones and they're kind of just, you know, sitting there and for the most part, quietly. Um, So they're not disrupting, you know, anyone else, um, probably. But at the same time, like, is that the message that we want to give to kids? That like, shul is a place where you come and play with toys and eat snacks. So I I think that's definitely something you know, I don't want to give clear, you know, this is what you should do or should not do. But I think I think the way you phrased your question was was appropriate. Like, what are the things that we should be thinking about? Like, what are the factors going in to a parent's decision? Um, so I think besides obviously the the age and what they could handle and what's meaningful for them, I think that we discussed already a little bit and really not asking for too much, um, knowing what that child could handle and what's meaningful for them. And being able to push them a little bit, you know, usually when it comes to, you know, let's say anxiety treatments and, you know, a child's helping a child kind of overcome things that they're avoiding, you want to, I always say, you always want to go maybe one notch above their comfort zone, right? We don't have to stay exactly within their comfort zone, maybe one notch to help them grow a little bit. So I would say one notch maybe above their comfort zone, I think that's one thing to consider. But then also in terms of this question of kavodatzvila, you really want to be mindful of that, of of giving them that experience of, you know, that amazing feeling and they, and they should see people getting into davening, the singing, etc. But then also thinking about, again, you know, how that might impact everyone else's tefillah and about if it's too much, just like here, take some snacks and eat toy and have toys, 
you know, what that association is, is creating. Great, incredible things to be thinking about as we're heading into Yom Kippur. Just a few days after that, we're going to transition to Sukkot, and then the following week, you know, Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. And that's a, a very different kind of shul experience. You know, we have uh, the Hoshanot, we have uh, the Hakafot on Simchat Torah, there's singing, there's joy, and that's a very, very high energy kind of experience. Um, what should parents be, be expecting or trying to inspire within their children on those days? Should they be encouraging their children to bring their own Lulav and Etrog if they have one, join in the Hakafot, join uh, in the Hoshanot on Sukkot, joining in Hakafot, singing, dancing, and should we encourage our communities to maybe construct and design the Hakafot in a way that puts the children in the middle? You know, we, we, mm -hmm. we, we at our school, we always say we're child-centered. We put the children in the middle. How can we design the Hakafot in a way that it's really a, an experience that puts the children in the middle? Again, obviously the Torah is what we're celebrating, but part of the Torah is passing that on to the children and giving them that experience. So what are things to keep in mind, things we should be thinking about going towards Sukkot and then Simchat Torah? Yeah, so definitely Simchat Torah for sure is, you know, easier in terms of getting kids engaged than let's say Yom, Yom, Yom Kippur or Rosh Hashanah. Um, and, and even Sukkot, as you're mentioning with Dalai Minim, I think the more active the experience, I think in general, um, the more the kids could be engaged. And I think that Simple Story is a great example of that because, you know, kids, for the most part, love moving around. Um, they love candy. And I think that's another example of if it just becomes about the candy, and then I think we're obviously missing the point. But I think, as you said, you know, so beautifully that it's, it's we're giving the candy in the context of because we love the Torah and because, and because the Torah is so sweet and we want to create this association of the sweetness of Torah and the sweetness of candy. Um, so I think Simple Story is, is a great day for that because it's so active, um, especially for your, your kid that, you know, has a hard time sitting still for 10 minutes in shul and now they could be, you know, dancing around in circles in the shul. Um, but I think as you're saying, it is so important that we make sure the kids feel involved. And it's not just that, you know, the adults are dancing and then the kids are on the side. Um, you know, I think that it's very important that you know, the, the the inner circle, you know, also includes the kids. Um, I think it's also important that, um, you know, kids feel that they're really, you know, being valued as, you know, it's not, it's not that only the, the grownups are happy to have a Torah, you know, kids are also, kids are also happy that we have a Torah and to maybe even have a conversation before Hakafot, you know, about why we're about to dance, you know, with the, with the Sifri Torah, that it's not just going in you know, and all of a sudden, you know, they see us take out the Sipri Torah and everyone's dancing. I think to have conversations about why we're so happy and, and why we're doing what we're doing to give it to give it that context, I think could be could be really important. Um, and I think in general, you know, you asked about, you know, should kids have their own little of an estrogue? I think if they feel like, you know, they they have their own, you know, part of this and they're able to feel like this is about them and it's not really just about the grown-ups there. I think then it could be a really meaningful, you know, end of the high holiday experience, you know, with, with uh, Sukkot and the uh, Simchas Torah. I know there are times when I'm 
purchasing my Lula Venetrogue and, you know, I go back and forth. Should I spend the money on getting my children their own? And then I think back on the year and I say, you know, I've spent so much money on giving my children so many things over the year, you know, taking them to a baseball game or taking them out to dinner or buying them this or that or the other thing. You know, how can I really justify not spending the money necessary to buy them their own Lula Venetrogue? And again, it doesn't have to be the $300 set. You know, mm-hmm. as, as long as it's a nice set, it's a kosher set and they feel part of it. Um, I know it really is a point of pride in in my children and, and it enhances their experience of coming to shul. Oh, this is the part where we wave it during halal. This is the part where we, you know, we march around during Hoshana. So uh, so it definitely is an investment. But I do think it's one that really does offer tremendous returns mm-hmm. uh, for, for that week of Sukkot. I uh, I want to thank you so much, Rabbi Dr. Gortz. We'll end with the question that we're going to be ending with this year, which is, can you share with us one positive memory from your years when you were a student in elementary school? Yeah, so, you know, thankfully, I have a lot of fond memories of my elementary school years. Um, I grew up in Muncie, I think I mentioned before, so I went to Ashar. And... Um, so I think just in the context of what we're talking about, I definitely remember you know, during you know this time of year, you know, between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, um, you know, diving slichos, you know, in seventh and eighth grade especially, um, you know, at Ashar, and and I remember pretty clearly how how the principal at the time, Rabbi Fink, and 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 the Rabbeim, you know, really wanted everyone to try to get involved as much as possible, you know, with the diving experience. So whether that was being able to actually, you know, be the chazan. So I, I remember I was I was able to be chazan, and I felt very, you know, proud of the ability to be able to be chazan even for slichos, and and really just, you know, they would, you know, really have everyone get into the um, Hashem Hashem Korach Machanan when we kind of call out the thirteen midos of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and they and they made it meaningful. I remember, you know, they would talk about, you know, what each of those traits mean and what we're you know, striving for, you know, to get our forgiveness, but also to try to act in the way that we're describing Hashem, to be kind, to be empathetic. And um, I, I definitely remember, you know, feeling somewhat connected, you know, to this time of year because of of the of the efforts of the of the principal of the of the moras of the rabbeim, um, and making it, you know, a meaningful davening experience. And I'm sure at, at Yeshiva HaTorah, you know, everyone's. Uh, Working, working as, as hard as they can to do the same, and um, and uh, I want to just thank thank you for allowing me to be here, and to wish you and all the listeners a gemara Thank you so much, and I think that story just really captures the idea of how impactful and formative a powerful moment can be, whether it's around tefillah, whether it's around a Shabbat or a Yom Tov table, but the power that uh, that even one experience can have. Uh, on someone for years to come. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to be with us on this podcast, to share with our parents and our listeners all uh, some incredible thoughts, incredible ideas, a lot to think about around the experience of tefillah. It really is a life journey. It's not a, a, a journey just through school. Tefillah is a lifelong journey. And uh, we have a lot to a lot to consider as we go into Yom Kippur. I'm wishing you and your family a Gemar Chatimah Tova. And soon after that, a Chag Sameach. And again, thank you so much for taking the time. And thank you to all the listeners. And we'll catch you next time on the YHT POV.